We pray for the dad who preaches for his <laughs> children's sins are many. Uh. <laughs> Um, scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to read from Genesis chapter 33. Last week we took a break to introduce ourselves to our stellar theme from VBS. We've been working our way through the patriarchs of Genesis, um, particularly the story of Jacob and Esau. Today their story comes to its end um, with Genesis chapter 33. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. Your bulletin says 12. I'm going to go on to 15 this morning. Let's listen for God's word to us this morning. Now Jacob looked up and he saw Esau coming and 400 men were with him. So Jacob divided the children among Leah and Rachel and two maids. He put the maids with their children in front and then Leah with her children and then Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went ahead of all of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you, Jacob? The children whom God has graciously given your servant, Jacob said. Then the maids draw near, and they and their children, they bowed down. Leah, likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down. And then finally, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I have met, Jacob? And Jacob answered, I mean to find favor with you, my Lord. But Esau said, I, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob said, no, please, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my gift from my hand. For truly, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Since you have received me with such favor, Please accept my gift that I brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me because I have everything that I have ever wanted. So he urged him and he took it. And then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go alongside you, Jacob. But Jacob said to him, my, my Lord knows that the children, they are frail and that the flocks and the herds which are nursing are a care to me and if they are overdriven for one day I fear that all my flocks will die let my Lord pass ahead of me his servant and I will lead on slowly according to the pace that the cattle and those before me and according to the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in the land of Seir so then Esau said to Jacob let me leave some of my men with you. Jacob said to his brother, why is it that my Lord is to be so kind to me? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray for the one who preaches for his sins are many. 
Holy and merciful God, may something of what I say and do here today, or at least something of what is seen and heard of me from this pulpit today, may it not be of me, O God, may it be of you. May it be of your promises, O God. May it be of the things that you have done for us and the things that you would have us do for you in our lives and in this, your world. In your name, we ask this. Amen. Why are you being so good to me? Jacob asks his brother Esau. Why is Esau so favorable, so forgiving to his deeply estranged brother? That's the question that haunts us today. If you've been following with us over the past six or so sermons, you know that the bad blood between these brothers runs Taylor Swift deep. Jacob stood at the edge of the river Jabbok alongside his wife and his children. He looks across this valley at his estranged brother in his camp. And there are about a thousand different ways that what's about to happen could go. And Jacob is a pragmatist. He's a realist. And I can imagine him doing like I would do and running through every contingency in his head, every possible outcome, running all the calculations, trying to decide how is it that we can best proceed. And if you run all the calculations in your head, I think what you will find is that just about every possible outcome from this impending meeting between two long-lost rival brothers falls into one of two categories. There's the worst-case scenario, and then there's the best-case scenario. So whenever I'm trying to run these calculations in my head, I always start with the worst-case scenario. So, worst-case scenario is Esau is still deeply bitter about what Jacob did to him. And that Esau has been waiting for the moment to settle the score. Revenge is a dish that is best served cold. And this revenge has been sitting in the fridge for 20-something years. Esau has every right to hate his brother. Esau has every right to want his brother to suffer and die. As children, all Jacob ever did was act jealous of Esau, undermine him, plot to take what was rightfully Esau's and steal it from him. And the way that Jacob went about it, to to lie to their dear father Isaac, the way that Jacob did, to, to trick an old man on his deathbed nonetheless, Jacob, Jacob does not deserve to be called a brother. He has not acted as if he were a family, even as if he were friendly. Jacob has positioned himself as Esau's enemy and stood in that place for decades now. And Jacob knows it. Jacob was the one who did Esau wrong, and Jacob knows it. Esau not only has all the justification in the world to come after Jacob, he also has the means to do it. He's got 400 men at his back. And all Jacob has is his family and his flocks. So worst case scenario, Jacob loses everything he owns. Jacob loses 
everything he's ever cared about. Not only is Jacob about to be killed, but so are his children. So are his flocks. Not only is Jacob about to be wiped off the face of the earth, any legacy that Jacob might leave is about to be destroyed as well, including the legacy on which Jacob has rebuilt his entire life, which is the promise of God, the promise that God will bring salvation through the whole world through Jacob's descendants. That too is at risk of being lost. So worst case scenario, this is the end of everything. Not just the end of everything for Jacob. If Jacob is serious about what he believes, it also means it's the end of everything for everyone. It's the end of hope for the world. The end of hope itself. If Jacob had any smarts at all, given what has been called upon him, he would stay as far away from his brother's territory as he ever could. He wouldn't test it. But God has other plans. God always seems to make other plans. So here's Jacob, risking everything to be faithful to God and return to his brother as God has asked him. That's the worst case scenario. Can't all be pessimistic. Let's take an optimist's look. If that's the worst case scenario, then what's the best case scenario? Well, perhaps the best case scenario is that maybe, just maybe, if Jacob throws up a white flag, if Jacob lines up all the innocent women and children in his camp behind him, and then maybe if Jacob pleads for their lives, and maybe if Jacob has all of them fall on their knees and bow down to Esau and offer themselves to him as slaves, declaring Esau as their Lord, their master, their ruler. And, if, and maybe if Jacob offers his most sincere apology, he says it like he really means it, because he really means it, he acknowledges all the wrong that he's ever done, all the evil he did to his brother. And, and maybe if Jacob swears his loyalty to his brother from that day forward and promises to never double cross him or anyone else again and to live out his days as his brother's slave effectively surrendering every family blessing that he deceptively stole from his brother then maybe maybe just maybe Esau would spare him or at the very least would spare his family and spare his legacy maybe Esau would not harm his wives and his kids. Maybe Esau would let them live out the rest of their days on his land among his household as slaves and servants. That's best case scenario. It seems that this is the best possible outcome that Jacob can hope for. This is the only play left to call in Jacob's playbook. And so this is the play that Jacob calls. He, he lines up Rachel and Leah and all of his sons right down to the youngest whose name is Joseph. And he had them all bow down with him before Esau as he approached. And they didn't just bow one time. They bowed down seven times over and over again, getting on the ground, getting back up 
just to drive home the point. We are not here to offend you, Esau. We're not here to defend anything that's happened in the past. We're here to apologize. We're here to own up to our mistakes. We're here to make amends. We're here to offer ourselves to you. We're here to beg you for mercy. And so here it goes. Jacob buries his face in the ground in submission to his brother. And as he stares at the dirt, he can hear the footsteps growing faster and faster and faster approaching him. So Jacob braces himself for the punishment that's to come. And he peeks up his eyes, fully expecting to see Esau running towards him with a sword and with a spear. But instead, he sees Esau running towards him with his arms wide open. Esau dogpiles on his long-lost brother. He embraces him while he's still on the ground in a hug. He kisses the back of his neck. The scriptures tell us, and together they hold each other and they weep. They weep. And they weep tears of pain, tears of healing, Tears of brokenness being mended. Tears of joy. They weep. And after an eternity of weeping in each other's arms, Esau finally wipes his face and looks up and he sees all of Jacob's family also prostrated on the ground. My God, Esau said, who are all these people? Who are all these children? Why are they bowing down? In front of me, what is this all about? We give ourselves to you for your favor, my Lord. Jacob says to his brother, No, 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 Esau says. Stop it. Get off the ground. Get on your feet. You are home. Come on, let's go home together. Let's journey on our way together. I will travel alongside you. Actually, actually, I know you must be tired. I know that the cattle must be thirsty and the kids must be hungry. Get them some food. Get them some water. I'll leave some of my soldiers to protect you, to keep an eye on you as you make the rest of your journey home. Jacob cannot believe this. Tell me what I owe you, he says to his brother. You owe me nothing, Esau says. You owe me nothing. And this, of course, is not true. Jacob owes Esau everything. But Esau will not accept it. It is something greater than mercy that Esau finds in his brother. He finds favor in his brother. And the favor he finds is not deserved. It's not earned. It's not merited. It's not given because of the way Jacob has thrown himself at his brother. It's given freely. It's given before Jacob could even throw himself down. It's grace that Esau gives. It's forgiveness. This is not a scenario that Jacob has planned for. And why would he have planned for it? This is not a scenario that anyone could have ever possibly imagined. It's not worst case scenario. It's not best case scenario. It's never case scenario. This is not how things are supposed to go in the real world. In the real world, enemies get punished. In the real world, what goes around comes around. 
In the real world, if you do someone wrong, you better watch your back. But here the enemy gets forgiven, loved. Here the enemy is wanted. Here the enemy has been missed. Here the enemy finds favor. This makes no sense. Why are you being so kind to me? Jacob asks his brother. That's a good question. Why is he being so kind to him? I'd be wondering the same thing. Is Jacob being punked? Has Jacob misread the entire situation for decades now? Had Esau had some kind of life-altering experience that changed his perspective on everything? Why is Esau so ready to forgive his brother? That's the question that haunts us this morning. And you know it's interesting. The scriptures don't give us an answer to this question. At least they don't seem to. There's no character arc for Esau, just for Jacob. There's no report in the story of some moment when Esau changes his mind and lets go of all that rightful anger at his brother. There's no moment where Esau has to go wrestle with God on the banks of a river like Jacob had. The Bible is silent on this matter. The imminent reason for Esau's change of heart is left mysterious, but that doesn't mean it's a mystery because if you pay attention to the Bible, the explanation is there. The explanation has been there since the very beginning. The explanation has been with us throughout the entire story of Jacob. It's the promise that Jacob received at the ladder from heaven at Bethel when God said to him, I will be with you until the very end. It's the blessing that God granted to Jacob as they fought on the banks of the river, renaming Jacob Israel, which means he who has struggled with God. Don't you see? The Bible has been making it plainly clear to us at every episode, at every chapter, how this story is going to turn out. The reason Esau is so gracious and so favorable to his wretched brother is because God promised Jacob that he would find grace and favor. Because God promised it. Don't you see? Forgiveness is a miracle. Forgiveness is a miracle. It shouldn't happen. By the seemingly natural laws of action and reaction, crime and consequence that govern our DNA and our desires and our relationships and the courts of our government and the statecraft of our nations and the hostilities of our environment and the course of a violent and chaotic universe, forgiveness should never happen. It's a thing we all need to happen. A thing we need deeper than we could ever know. But yet the cards are so heavily stacked against it ever happening. Forgiveness is not a scenario that a pragmatist can ever imagine happening, much less count on happening. And yet forgiveness happens. By some transcendent power, 
It really happens. And when it does, it proves itself to be the one rescue, the one escape, the one salvation that can deliver us from the depths of animosity and break the cycles of violence and resentment and hatred that capture us all and the systems of prejudice and injustice that plague us all. Forgiveness is a miracle. And since we're in church this morning, it's my duty to remind you that here we dare to believe that miracles happen. What we do here is we try to imagine a world, a life, where miracles can happen. We dogpile on the hope that miracles like forgiveness happen because God has other plans God always seems to have other plans God has better plans so Jacob found more than mercy what Jacob received was a gift of undeserved, unearned favor from his brother. And he received this not because of the way he threw himself at his brother's mercy, but because God had promised that he would receive it from the very foundations of the world. And it was only because he trusted in God's promise that he would receive mercy, that he was able to throw himself at his brother's mercy in the first place. And this promise of God's undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor is not just for Jacob. It's also for his children and for his children's children and for his children's children's children, which includes you and me. It's our promise too. Forgiveness happens. Thanks be to God. It's a miracle. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we ask it. Amen.